Ego Hour acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Good evening, everybody. I'm Good Brother. And I'm Lil Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. Start the timer for me, Tom. Anything said over the next 60 minutes maybe might stand up in a court of law, but it definitely will stand up in any argument you find yourself in with a film school student. These reviews are non-negotiable, non-refundable, and non-script. So, let's talk about Under the Silver Lake. Released on the 19th of April 2019 in the US, Under the Silver Lake, also known by its Trinidad and Tobagoian release title, The Amazing Spunker Man, is a (laughs) neo-noir crime comedy thriller existentialist burger ad. The film follows Sam, a lazy everyman who becomes wrapped up in an Illuminati-esque murder conspiracy when he meets and hangs with a beautiful neighbour one night, only to find out she has disappeared the following day. The film was made on a budget of $8 million, but made only $2 million back. The film clocks in with a runtime of 139 minutes and may just leave you wondering, and there's a lot of things we could have, I could put in here, but what I'm going with is, how long did the one CGI person put into covering up Andrew Garfield's penis? What, can you give us some other options? Oh, just like basically what just happened. Um, who is the dog killer? Um, I know, more, more niche stuff, but not meme stuff. All right. So, let's dive in. Um, today, we're joined by a very special guest. Um, we welcome, I suppose, you know, one of the founding members of the Ego Hour fan club, one of our <laughs> top few listeners, I believe. Um, please welcome Ben. Thank you for having me, boys. Ben, do you want to... Do you have uh, an alias that you would like to yeah, be referred to? Yeah, do you have an to, alias? Oh, oh, I forgot about an alias. I haven't actually thought of an alias. Um, oh. Sure, you've got like a Reservoir Dogs thing, mm, Mr. White or something man, like that. I, I Too could, obvious. <laughs> I, could, I could be Mr. White for this, but that, that, that is my father, so I'm not, I'm not 100% sure with that one. I never was a Mr. White. <laughs> my father was, but, and I hated him for it. <laughs> um, no, I can't think of an alias, so I'm it's sorry. It's fine. We'll, go right, with ben. we'll just go with Ben. Well, because Ben's not taken. We have Bad Brother, our older brother, who is also who is Ben. Who is also Ben, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for the listeners, Ben and I met... Um, in LA about a year ago, maybe a few weeks before this. So what a good movie to do. Yeah, for the LA true, boys actually. Hadn't about thought LA. about it. Um, I think it was a subconscious decision. Yeah. yeah. The thinking man selection. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and when we have guests on this pod, we always check in with our guests. Hey girl. I know it's been a while, but uh, I just need to ask you something. I'm alright. Thanks for having me on, Tom and Nick. Um, yeah, not doing alright. Just just cruising along, plodding along in the year that is better than the last. Um, mm. But no, excited to talk about um, a movie, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, we have a large image of the Under the Silver Lake poster. Larger stretching it, I would say. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we have a medium size. <laughs> Two thirds of the laptop screen. <laughs> if you filtered it by medium on Google search, you probably get that. This is the image you'd yeah. find. Um, but yes. 
So, we welcome Ben. Ben's doing well. Nick, how are you doing? Do we, um, do we even good. care how you're you doing? Know, yeah, it's just how the guest is. We've cut this segment. Yeah. Well, it's only around for guests because, you know, yeah. to try in time, we want to hear everyone's doing fine. Um, thank, yeah. thank you for checking in. <laughs> scary days today, you know? Yeah. Things we got a little, bit of a, a little bit of a COVID scare going on in the city. Um, this could be the last pod in person for a while. We'll see what happens. Mm. Hopefully not. What's notable about this pod is that Ben and Nick have never met before, so we're bringing a bit of new life into the pod. So we might be fighting. Yeah, big biffs before at dinner as we prepared. Um, yeah, let's let's dive right in. So this movie, what was your context for watching it? Well, I have known about this movie for a couple of years now. Um, as Tom stated before, we met in LA. I'm a big fan of any movie set in LA. Um, and Mulholland Drive is one of my favourite movies of all time. And I knew this had a little bit of... It was influenced a little bit by it. Um, and it was its own twisty-turvy sort of noir mystery bit of every genre. Um, but I, I don't know why I haven't watched it until this pod. I thought this was a good opportunity to knock one off the watch list. One that you guys might enjoy or bring about an interesting discussion. Mm. Probably the latter. But <laughs> But um, no, I was really looking forward to it. This is one of the most anticipated movies I had on my watch list. So I thought it was good to finally, finally see it, yeah. see what all the buzz was about. Yeah, I feel like immediately with this film, that would impact how you viewed the film. Um, mm. I didn't know this film existed. And even Under the Silver Lake, I thought, because you said it was on Netflix. And I was like, Under the Silver Lake, looked at the posters, a girl underwater. Is that? The, I was like, is this that documentary about the guy who swims with the octopus? <laughs> you know, that Netflix movie that's done the rounds. I'm like, oh, you know, Ben, if you really want to watch that, I guess we can watch the octopus movie. But... What is it, my you with the octopus? Yeah. Like, uh, it's like the octopus teacher or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Um, that would be an interesting pot. <laughs> it might be a short, shorter one than usual, but that would yeah. still be interesting. Everyone just I mean, we unanimous have an... fives. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves the octopus movie. We seem to have an ability to stretch them out even when they're... They're not that interesting. Yeah. If you're here after Soylent Green, we managed to stretch that film out quite a bit. Soylent Green, we, how long was it? Like an hour? We probably equaled the it cracked an hour. Right? And this is the thing. And it came up on a pod that I edited out because it was us in the, the part of the pod where we talk shit for, you know, 20 minutes before wrapping up. And I was saying that Portrait of a Lady on Fire was a movie we both, both really liked, loved even. And it was like back in the days when the pod was shorter. And it's like, how can I justify that? podcast being so short compared to some of the yeah. other shit we've watched that like have reached like over two hours long yeah so. well the pod originally started to be less than an hour wasn't it well, yes, almost as, half an hour <laughs> as falsely advertised in the introduction yeah well because well, the first was ego oh not ego boogie nights and yeah. boogie nights was fairly efficient it was right? a 40 minute pod but, yeah. but I, that was, at the time that was like wow this is way too long yeah that was like the pilot pod i yeah. thought they were going to be 20 20 minute apps, but well they started more like film essays where you're like I like this I like this did you notice this and then now it's become just a pair of guys rambling about films <laughs> well now it's half about like having beers <laughs> yeah. well and I think that the check in the meta part I feel like we've earned a song here but the meta part of this pod where we talk about how the pod's trending is a staple at this stage and yeah, true. you can't okay, avoid it theme song for this yeah yeah um so this is maybe this is the segment that replaces the how you doing yeah the, how you doing the how's the pod, pod doing how's the pod doing checking on the pod how are you checking on the pod 
But maybe we can call Ben and be like, what did you think of the last episode? Yeah, because it's so... review the pod. It's great to have someone who actually listens to the pod. As I'm aware, we have two devoted listeners, um, yourself, which we very much appreciate. You can't shout him out three episodes in a row. I'm just saying. And and someone else. (laughs) He's not important. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, and... He's my arch enemy on the basketball I think we mentioned this... (laughs) We mentioned this on the last pod, but... The Chili Peppers pod was blowing up, in ter- like relatively speaking, of course, um, but we don't know how. And uh, well, and the guest, the guest episodes do okay because you know we hope to <laughs> spread to a new market base. But who knows? Um, maybe people will come to this one because they want to understand it. And maybe this is where we should clarify: this is not the pod where we're going the to dances. explain <laughs> under the silver. This lake. is not under the silver lake explained. No, it's- it's- this is a couple of people ruminating It'll on be it. under the silver lake question mark. Yeah. Question, uh, was under, it? Uh, under the silver lake. Hey, that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this film, I came in with no context and even just watching the trailer before, like before we started recording, I, we watched the trailer together. Um, this, the trailer is completely different to what this film is, right? Um, the trailer showed all the scenes, but it felt like a completely different thing. It has this sort of romantic comedy vibe at the start that misleads you. And then it's like, oh, what a quirky little story about this guy finding out about a mystery. That's not what this movie is at all. You open with this dude walking past the dog killer. And a lot of, I got like graduate vibes a little bit with how much it loved the zoom. And also loved a moving camera, which was neat. Um, but then finally, the other thing that immediately stood out to me was the, the Hitchcock references. The rear window, he's sitting on a balcony, peering through his eye holes. I'd say Ben is our resident uh, film historian here. So, what do you make of all these historical references? Uh, there, there was a lot, and there's like I watched it twice. I watched it like the first time two days ago, and then again last night. Um, and there's so many. Like he's got all these posters in his house, and some like there's the ones on his, on the back wall where his couch is resting. Um, that you see a couple of times, but there's some that don't appear until later on into the movie. Mm. Um, so the posters change? I don't think the posters change. That would have been cool as well. But there's some that appear later on, um, like when the like I can't spoilers. Are we allowed to yeah, go yeah, into spoilers, spoilers this early? Um, when the the owl lady comes in, mm. um, and she comes in through like he's it's after he's been to the the songwriter's house. Um, so it's when he's at his lowest. Mm. Um, and um, the that's when the Our Lady comes, and that's like a we can talk about this a bit later on because there's all the metaphors around that. Um, but there's all a different poster in his um, in his whole hallway that we haven't seen before that also ties into that. The more I think about it, that's one of the aspects I probably like the most about it is the history around not uh, not necessarily history around the movie, which is also interesting, like the way A24 um, distributed it. Um, but just how many different references and how, I don't know, it's pretty, not, it's, it's dense without being too dense, mm. I find, with the references. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't detract from, if you don't know anything about it. Yeah, it the opt-in references. Exactly. It doesn't detract from it not knowing anything. You kind of think, oh, it's in LA. Of course, there's going to be movie references. But it's just like an extra level of either enjoyment or just interest that you can gain from it by just picking up on those little details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Um Two things I'm picking up on what you're saying. The first one is like when you were talking about the comparison to Maholland Drive and if you're talking about references 
completely different vibes between those two films and how they kind of deal with cinema. Because, like, although this, like, seems to have, like, a view of Hollywood and cinema that's kind of, you know, negative tinged or whatever, there's also a lot of love there, obviously, in the references in itself, which is something that I don't think Mulholland Drive necessarily has, or at least I didn't pick up on. Yeah, yeah, it has, like, a love for Hollywood, but it also has a big, like, a huge disdain for it as well. Mm. Like, it's... And I think you can have it both ways too. Yeah. yeah. And like Tom and I found that when we were there as well. Like it's a pretty cool city, but it's also a bit of a shithole. Like well, it's, I mean, it's got both. And like especially being like the, where the Silver Lake is, it's like just like it's East Hollywood. Like it's, I think I went past there once. Like I never actually walked around in it. Like a couple of the suburbs around it are pretty similar, but I never actually, it's not like a destination. It's just happens to be where some of the richest and most famous and influential people in the world live. It's just like a yeah. neighbouring suburb. Is it in one of the Hitchcock films? Um, I feel like either, because I, I think I've only seen two in the, I think I've seen Vert, well, I've seen Vertigo and To Catch a Thief. And I think they, I don't know, they go to a lake in one of them. And Hollywood is the only city in films where like you feel like you've seen it yeah. and you can remember it from the other movie that you saw it in. Well, well Under the Silver Lake School as well because it shows a side of Hollywood that you don't necessarily see in a lot of movies about Hollywood. Like even Mulholland Drive, like it's pretty, it's not like the, it doesn't portray LA, Hollywood, like fame in the best light. But like this, it's like shows a pretty dirty city. Mm. Um, and it kind of reminded me a bit of um, Tangerine. Um, Sean Baker's movie that he shot on the iPhone, um, like that, it's got that kind of it's got it's a lot cleaner than that, but it's got that gritty nature about it too, and it doesn't portray like the heroes in the most positive light, which is mm. good or interesting. Yeah, I think as you said, it is LA is just I don't know, like it's such an interesting thing. Is it a photo photogenic city or is I think part of making a, a Hollywood film now is add into the anthology and you're going. Like, it's such a meta reference in this film, but I think that's the only way you, you can sort of do it, where you're like, oh, we know that all these famous movies took place here, so yeah. you reference it. But then even, like, being in the city, I don't know if it's just, like, buying into this, but I did feel it a little bit. Like, I think I had seen... Maybe I hadn't, but I don't know if I'd seen Mulholland Drive yet, but I did go to Mulholland Drive, and, like, as part... So I went for an internship, and Ben went to study... And as part of my internship, I was scouting houses to use on a shoot for a commercial. And I ended up at a house in Mulholland Drive and like ducking along, weaving along the roads. Like it feels a bit unique. And like, you know, this fact, you know, the idea that it's like a rich place and it's a bit special. Um, and then, but it's, but it's also on like a dangerous hill. It's like yeah. Kanye's um, no, no more parties in LA. in LA. Like <laughs> te- texting and driving down Mulholland Drive. That's why, that's why I'd rather take the 405. Yeah. Like, like it's all the, the most expensive houses in the world are just built on this, this hill that, yeah. You pay a shit ton just to level the ground. It, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It's not ideal. The only like the thing going for it is that it looks down and that it's, it's, like, it is pretty amazing that they have a rich estate in the middle of the city as well. Like, it sort of does this, like, T thing where it intersects the downtown, sort of, I think, and then sort of borders, like, because LA's got the valley and then, like, the city part. So, there's, like, a wall between outer LA, like, like the start of California, the rest of California and then LA on the water. But Mulholland is pretty interesting that it's in the middle. So you could be rich and then suddenly you drive in and there's all this rich estate and like big houses and old houses particularly. 
Um, it's, it's like a gated community without the gate. Yeah. It's just because yeah. no one wants... Like, why drive up a hill if you don't have to? It's, exactly, yeah. It's just easier to avoid it. And then you get, like... Like, it's all the nice houses. It's where all the celebs live. But then you get, like, the, the tour buses that go around there as well mm. that are real seedy. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised there wasn't actually a bit of that in Under the Silver Lake. Mm. Like, the celebrity culture a bit more mm. um because that yeah but then Mulholland Drive and a few other Hollywood movies tackle that as well so it's probably something they didn't need to touch but um yeah that's just an interesting place the other location thing that stood out to me was because we went to the comedy club together uh the comedy store yeah I think it's called oh that's when you saw everyone famous yeah we saw yeah. David right. Spade yeah. Sarah Silverman Joel uh, McHale right? Joel McHale Joel Joey um, Diaz yeah What's the guy, Adam... Adam, oh, um... Carolla, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah Jimmy Kimmel's mate. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I distinctly remember walking along that strip. We didn't even walk along for that long, but that strip looks like that. And it, mm. you see in the movie, that's where her billboard is. And it's just yeah. like these sort of mountainous backgrounds and then like small buildings that are disconnected and all the billboards are there. Like I drove through that and it's a very distinguishable area as opposed to the rest of LA. Like, like I haven't been to New York, but it kind of feels like what I imagine Times Square feels like. Mm. Just like mass advertising, um, just the the biggest movie, the biggest movies like announce themselves there almost. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a pretty cool street. Yeah, um, it, it just feels sort of, special because i imagine i just think it's one of those places that just bends to whatever's popular like because the whole like a big identity of that strip is like the billboards themselves um and then there were like tower tower records is on that road and it's just the type of thing that would probably uh bend to the culture so that's why it seems important and he goes through there and it's just like the the funny thing is because you've seen la so many times in movies that you end up in these places and it's a movie place. And like, of course it is because LA, you know, some, the way that I understood it over there, it's like in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania and the Rust Belt that we learned about in the, the Trump Biden election, <laughs> <laughs> that they, they had factories and they made metal and stuff. Yeah, the and flyover cities, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in Hollywood, their output, of course, is movies. And so they're going to go, where can we film that's interesting? Oh, why not drive 3K and film down the road? So every... It's like everything has been covered in a film because of necessity and then it makes it feel sort of special and then this film is very much sort of aware of that. Just the final thing on location, I know we're, I know. I hope this is fascinating to you. <laughs> it's interesting. With our amazing <laughs> yeah. insight. Um, but the other one, the, the thing that really linked this to Mulholland Drive to me besides, you know, the vibe, and even though you said the vibe's a bit different, I think like the premise being LA. No, it's, there's definitely lots of similarities, but I was saying that for the kind of lens that they look at it through, mm. you could say that's kind of similar, but this one definitely has a lot more love for Hollywood and yeah. Hollywood tropes and stuff like uh, that. I I, yeah, I, I'd say, uh, does. yeah, I'd say like similar tone in that they've both got like some funny scenes. They've got like some scenes that are like straight up horror mm. um, and thriller and um, like a whole range of genres. But yeah, I, like I agree with that. Even a homeless yeah. man. Homeless man. And exactly. At the, um, I wrote his name down. I'll get it up. Like the diner scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought that was Same. a... That was, one of my favorite choices in the movie. I didn't know he was in it going into it. Um, what's his name? His name is uh, Patrick Fischler. Yeah. Um, when I notes notes, I'm on the I'm on the I'm on the ball. I'm on the ball. But yeah, I, I didn't know. It. I can zoom in. <laughs> I, I didn't know he was in it um, before I watched it. Um, but as soon as he showed up, I thought that is. Is it the same guy? Yeah. 
You, wow. From a Holland Drive, yeah. I didn't yeah. actually know that when I, I brought that I up. Thought I thought like, it's the same concept, yeah. but like, it's crazy. That, that was one of... They knew what they were doing. Oh, it was definitely deliberate. Um because that's like one of my favorite scenes in one of my favorite movies. I thought, yeah, he's got the most recognizable face as well. Like even in, like in Twin Peaks: The Return, um, he's in like one or two scenes. Mm-hmm. It's like, is that? Who I think, of course it's, of course it's him. Yeah, of course yeah. it's him. He's just got such an, and his just, voice as well. I recognize yeah. him on the phone with the first time you're in. Yeah, yeah. The thing that I recognized, uh, the the connection basically, just quickly, is that they he lives in the apartment block, which is very like I think it's this vintage. Uh, LA thing where they built these villas that were Spanish influenced or whatever and the apartment block reminds me exactly of the apartment block in Mulholland Drive and I think that that is a deliberate reference to vintage Hollywood because those are the type of buildings that were up and then it also goes in like with how you mentioned with Hitchcock and Rear Window as well like he's peering out he's got the whole like his whole world is just the pool mm. and the apartments to the side where for Jimmy Stewart in Rear Window, it's the whole, the whole courtyard and the apartments to the side as well. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, what, 60 years, up, that's 60 years before the movie was made. So mm. a, wow. a vintage Hollywood there. Yeah. Did you have your final location point? Yes. Please continue. Are you done? It was the, oh, the building done. made me think of... Right, okay. Because I, I, I remember the other thing I was talking about with Ben's intro is that you talked about A24's distribution and I have read that they kind of butchered the distribution of this film. Well, you were mentioning, you mentioned like the trailer before about how it's not, this, it's a bit different to the movie. And yeah, you can kind of tell that they had no idea what to do <laughs> yeah. with this movie. Like who's its market? Like other than like our film lovers, like the ones that like seek out these sort of movies, it's not going to make a whole lot of money if you market it as what it is. Um, I also think that's also because the movie kind of doesn't know what it is, but that's kind of the point. Um, but yeah, I think I think its history is that it like premiered at Cannes, um, and then it got like kind of mixed to positive reviews there. Um, but that's a crowd that's going to like it, so of course it would. Yeah, they um, want to be on the yeah the, the edge of something. Um, and then yeah, they kind of just didn't know what to do with it. So I think. It was in some theaters. I know. I know. It definitely didn't get released here in any major theater chains. Like it might have been at Cinema Nova or yeah. like the Aston might have had it for a night. Um, <laughs> but other than that, like I think it was almost straight to VOD in America. So mm. yeah, yeah. But having said that, and I know I said it before about the trailer, I actually think the trailer captures a good part of <laughs> if you what know, the film's like, uh, especially after watching it as well. Mm, it's like this yeah. is pretty much the only trailer they could make for it. Yeah. Yeah. So the film is, is fascinating because I think on paper, I don't like this film, but in reality, I actually did like it. And be, with films like this, that can go either way anytime because like, to be honest, when I first watched My Holland Drive, I didn't really like it. I, I didn't get it. And I, I like talking about it. I started to like it more. Um, and other people, like I had a friend who loved it. And what's funny is on the, um, so the other film, like when I had heard about this, um, elder brother, bad brother said that um, it's kind of like I'm. I'm also your elder brother, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my other one, um, eldest brother. Eldest. Yeah, he was saying it's like I'm thinking of ending things, and like I can, I can see that. Yeah. You can see it a little bit, yeah. like yeah, but I, I they're quite different. Yeah. I would yeah, say by, by similarity, it's just like uh a tonally deliberately disruptive sort of film that's where i draw the connection oh yeah so this this film did deliver i would say because i i couldn't help but feel like i was still engaged and there were so many moments where this film is sort of daring you to be like 
oh, we're going to find out what's going to happen. And then you don't. And then I can imagine myself disengaging from that. But I really loved this film's energy and its color and its visuals. You know, I was really excited going every place that it took um, physically and narratively, you know. It, it, it kind of just went, hey, we go- like, I sort of figured out that it was being silly and I'm like, okay, so let's see what happens. Silly sort of like, you know, absurd humor is definitely my thing. Um, lots of moments in this where you like laugh out loud, you know. Um, we were sniggering a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like you and me going, <laughs> and then Emmy being like, yeah. Like, like, sure. like I knew it was going to be funny going in. It was a different sort of funny than I was expecting. Hmm. It was, I don't know, like it's, pretty, it's definitely not subtle, but I found some of the comedy quite subtle. Hmm. Um, yeah. like, a, like the songwriter scene, like that's like got a few big laughs there, but then even just some of the ways that Andrew Garfield moves around. Like he's the the oddest unit in this movie. <laughs> like when he just the way he walks. Like he doesn't move his arms when he walks. He walks with a straight back but a hunched back as well. Yeah. At the same time, it's like it's like good physical comedy, <laughs> yeah. and that's one aspect of it that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, it's funny. Like talking about his character because I'm usually not necessarily that invested in slacker stoner sort of characters. Mm. Because I feel like it's a bit of a played out trope. Yeah, good point. So I've got to say... It's a very American character, I'd say. Yeah. I feel like it's harder for us to relate to, maybe. Yeah. We like our slacker stoners. Our slacker stoners are like beachside sort of guys. Like they're not... But even then, I think uh, the Australian slack is a bit more like dopey, like, but well-meaning. Whereas like slacker stoners in America are kind of... And this is obviously generally speaking, but... And how, they, how they're portrayed in their movies and yeah, entertainment. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's, and it, it seems a little overplayed, like, because it's like the Judd Apatow character that's mm, like... Exactly. Like, we've had 15 years of that comedy being yeah. the premier comedy, so it's mm. kind of like, every, when that comes up, you, I'm, I'm always a bit unsure. Yeah, what are you rehashing? I mean, like, what, what's like the proto slacker is like, Big Lebowski or something like that. You yeah, know which what I mean? People and love it's like, and which I don't is, know if you liked it. Uh, like I need to see it again. It's been a few years. I remember liking it, but like it's it's always that one of those movies where people say, Oh, like it gets better every single time you watch it. And I feel like that's probably gonna be true. Um mm. but I thought, yeah, it's just good. I could see a bit of the is the Big Lebowski set in LA pretty I feel I like yes. I'm, pre- I'm, I'm pretty sure it would have to be. I'm pretty well, sure like it they is go to like well. a fancy place. And yeah. I think any film that's parody in high art is yeah. normally set in New York or LA. Yeah. So. But yeah, I saw I could see a bit of the dude in in Sam. Yeah, and that's where like you know, with the comparison with I'm thinking of anything, you have completely different protagonists leading you through the confusion. Mm. So it leads to a completely yeah, different point. experience. So Whereas, what's the name? Young girl, young lady in I'm Thinking of Many Things is like really active and like... Yeah, and neurotic and... And, you know, really a part of every scene, but Sam's like a kind of secondary sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, observational. Things happen he's, around him. Yeah, and he's he goes, dejected oh. to what's happening. Yeah. yeah. So, I just, I think that the, they feel completely different for that, main, that sole reason, you know. Um, and it's like, so yeah, it started out and I definitely wasn't... That invested straight away, I've got to say, because of that slacker sona character sort of thing. So you you felt yourself disengage almost as like a stance to that character? Probably. Um, and Because just how many, especially when you're going to like go with a bit of a dry tone, you've got to have, when I'm automatically kind of not that sympathetic to that character, I just think it's, a, for me, I, it kind of jars me a bit at the start. But, I, you know, 
10, 20 minutes in is where it, it, there's some funny stuff and you get more up, engaged with it. But it just definitely did make me think about making it's hard because the whole kind of like undertones and the moral maybe not moral but what the film's trying to say really relies on the main character being the slacker character and having all these perspectives so you can't fault it necessarily because that's what the film's about but it Mm. did make me think about if the film had to progress with a different protagonist like what it would have felt like yeah interesting the film sort of has phases right like that's the only way i can really break down this film I, even at the time, I was quite aware when I knew that the film was shifting gears a little bit. Mm. Um, at the start, they're world building, and um, he's what spying, meets the girl, and then that sort of goes into the scene, and then she disappears, and then you get like the inciting incident. It takes a while to sort of get there, and you don't know what the premise is. But then I think it it hits its stride once it knows that it's getting a bit weirder, you know. Um, once you engage with like, oh, we're going to interesting LA spots, then it's it's particularly fun, you know. Once you end up at the Hollywood Cemetery, it's like, oh, here we go, and mm. the party and stuff. But yeah, just to take it back to to Andy Garfield, I actually thought he had it was a really good performance. Like I was watching it, going, I like what he's doing here. I think that it's it's sort of underplayed. Um, I feel like he played Peter Parker the same sort of way, <laughs> like when he wasn't like speaking that much you know and kind of like like bit of that mumble action like a disinterested peter parker yeah Yeah, i'm sort of like not all in on andrew garfield like i think he's got potential but i liked him in this film i thought that he was happy i thought i respected how much he was willing to be the butt of the joke in this film Mm. you could tell he was enjoying himself Mm. i find i think male nudity is a good sign of a character diving in because (laughs) like as I noted in the intro, you don't see his penis, but uh, you saw a lot of Andy Garfield butt in this film. Yeah. yeah, when you're willing to go all out for a weird sort of movie, a movie that you know not many people are going to see, yeah. it probably didn't make him a whole lot of money, probably didn't win him any more roles. Like He's just done it because it's, he liked it. Yeah, you yeah. can get a bit of respect from that. I think you the pitch for this film would have had to be awesome though, right? Like this dude... So he, he well, coming out coming from it follows. Yeah, yeah. so, so thought, it yeah. follows was made on one million dollars, which yeah. is shit all. And he, I was just reading an interview with him, and he was saying that like no one was funding horror. Um, I'm somewhat envious of the people who are following me because horror is back on the menu. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it was that huge, but apparently it is because I thought Paranormal Activity was pretty big, but maybe. Uh, but that's different. Like they made Paranormal Activities on similarly tiny budgets. Yeah. Like, well, they didn't go let's put, put work into Paranormal Activity. They said let's do the same thing. Well, yeah, because I I did note when this came out, It Follows was 2014. But then, what year was um The Conjuring and stuff after this? That would have to be after that, right? That because that's the famous like modern sort of horror franchise. And like right? Insidious, The Conjuring is 20 was well, 2013. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it wasn't like no horror was getting made. So, But it's different. Like, now it's definitely a cultural movement to make horror films. I well, think. the whole... That's Blumhouse's whole thing. Yeah. Like, cheap horror movies because people go see them. Yeah. Like, if your movie's a horror movie, you know people are getting, Like, it has to be... like it's classic it, exploitation. It has, it has to be, like, extraordinarily shit for people not to go see it. Yeah, and how many, like, things pop on your Facebook where it's, like, 
random people you know from high school yeah. tagging each other on posts about <laughs> you know this number three is we coming out we have to see this the nun number three is coming <laughs> out oh, we have to oh, watch oh, this there'll, oh there'll be some clickbait article saying you won't believe what is the, what is sci- what has been scientifically proven to be the scariest yeah, movie exactly. of all time oh, and it's some cool. some just awful Netflix movie yeah. that got released and no one's seen it but it's just a whole marketing ploy to get people to watch it again yeah. um, and my I feel like horror ads are the ones you most see at Flinders Street Station to be fair. Well, because the movies are so cheap, they've got a bigger marketing. They can not bigger, but yeah. comparatively mm. to the budget for the production. It is funny. You could imagine this being a Netflix film, I think. This like lives yeah. more comfortably as a Netflix film. It probably especially, would be... especially what they've been doing at the moment as well, with like not comparing David Robert Mitchell to um, Scorsese and David Fincher and <laughs> yeah. but even like Mank is I, I haven't seen Mank yet but like to make that it's very Netflix it feels very Netflix nowadays well especially well because we read The Big Picture which is this book about Marvelification another shout out on the pod but um, essentially it's saying that like you can go you can swing for the fences on streaming services because people are willing to sit down on the couch and try something a bit harder it's more likely to find an audience there than shipping it to however many theatres across different continents and setting up a new marketing new marketing um, production for them. Like putting it all yeah. on Netflix, having a release date, just pops up in everyone's list. It, it helps. Yeah. Critically acclaimed. Critic- it's yeah. always in the critically acclaimed. Oh, this is in the top 10. <laughs> this is the top 10 most popular thing in Australia yeah. this yeah. week. No, really, Adam Sandler. I'm telling you guys, he's back. He's back. Um, but having said that, I think... It's so interesting because I think the mark this film actually is quite marketable because I was you know doing the research on this. It's got a huge Reddit following. It's got a subreddit devoted to it, and where they try and uncover the codes in this film. Surely you can engage a few viewers just by going like solve the code, you know, giving out a little bit. But is it a cinema thing or like a thing where you know you can watch it two times in a day mm. or like? That's what it needs, really, right? Plus, it was a particularly, like, 2016, although recent history is, or 2019, damn. Um, I feel like even though this is recent history, I think the COVID thing has made a huge impact on how films are released and how people feel about them being released, right? And it already feels like that was ancient history because it's like, well, already we know that you're not making money if you release a small movie. So I think maybe already they're more comfortable releasing it straight to to Netflix or something. Like, I read that it came out on the same weekend as Avengers and it's just like A24 knew what they were doing, like throwing that against the biggest moneymaker mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you could market this film better by going, oh, it's on Netflix, it's a weird one. I think um, Thinking of Ending Things is the example, basically. That film had Co- quite Coffin's, a bit of Coffin's got a bit more clout though than David Robert Mitchell just yeah. because he's done a bit more... But yeah, you could sell people on the hype of this guy, though. You could be yeah. like, it follows. The and you got Andy Garfield horror. as well. Yeah. If you like sell like how much Andy Garfield is, and Hollywood, Hollywood yeah. is quite sellable as well. The fact that we're so keen, we enjoyed it. Like there must be a bunch of people who love LA. I, I think its length probably has a bit to do with it as well. Like it's not a short movie. That's one of the biggest flaws I have with it is that even though its length is definitely purposeful it, yeah it detracts for a lot of people if they if they say on netflix oh this is two and a half hours like mm. that's oh, that's I was what, what, that's it. one and a half episodes of whatever i'm watching at the moment yeah yeah i didn't expect it to be as long as it was especially it kept going it just kept yeah. going. there's a few there's a few scenes in it like there's a few scenes in the middle and there's like the second to last scene 
in, which is with the 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 hobo king. Yeah, in the chair. Mm. And in stuff. the in the chair, I felt that one a bit long. I yeah. reckon you could you could almost cut that out. Mm. That, that so, scene, it, it, the like we can go into like the dog killer stuff. But I feel like if that scene's out, if that scene got removed, I don't think the movie would lose anything. I felt like the movie should have ended, and it's probably obvious. But when he meets the piano man, like that feels like the big reveal. And to be honest, I imagine that's what probably it's got a very clear climax. Yeah, as well. I feel yeah. like that's the the, the biggest. Uh, like, that's the most clear director's message as well. You know, everything you consume is already hyper-processed, which I love. I think that's hilarious. I, that's, the, the funniest scene in the We movie, watched yeah. that scene. It's just hilarious when he keeps, like, fucking with Andrew Garfield yeah. playing another song. Uh, I didn't realise until after I watched it that it's an actor in old-age makeup as well. I could tell. So, I, uh, I, I definitely could have the second yeah. time I watched it, but the first time I thought, oh, this is, like, who's this old guy? Yeah. And then when I found out it's, like, an actor underneath, I thought... Oh, is this like a cameo? Is this like, yeah? I thought they, it must be someone. Yeah, they've got they've got someone. He's do, they're doing a voice. They've got a like it's Tilda Swinton. It's <laughs> they've, got, they've got they've got all the makeup on. Um, but it's just some guy. I think yeah, I don't think it's anyone think specifically. It, it would have been good. Crushes if it, it me. It should no, have been like good. Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, imagine Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal killed that. Yeah, it's all right. Could have been Andrew Garfield again. Mm, it could have been him. Yeah, yeah, yeah could have yeah. played that. I that do would love... have tied, that would have tied in with the cyclical nature, circular, not cyclical, circular nature of the movie as well mm, i do love when he smashes the head out like it's just like we laughed yeah. we're like oh it, it they go like, with this you know it looked like in it was such dark fake blood it, it looked like when they're, they're smashing heads in um the world's end like <laughs> you know when they mm. smash the alien yeah. it looked like that yeah. or yeah. like in drive as well yeah um in when the he's al- crushing the elevator, in the yeah. elevator. <laughs> but i thought that was that a was good a head smash <laughs> it's a good head smash i really like that though because it was like when he's walking up to his house it's so fantastical. Like it's very. Mm. It looks painted. It, it, it's yeah, a vintage Hollywood thing. Exactly. Yeah, it's like nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, fifties Technicolor. Um, and then yeah, when he's smashing his head in, it's just like completely grey. Mm. It's like as grisly as it can get. It's like no, nah, I like what you're doing here. Yeah. Well, he just, plays a bit of like a Bach song or something. With this implication being that he wrote for yeah. Bach, <laughs> which is hilarious. Which makes, and then like the fact that he has like grey blood kind of leads into the thing like he's a Voldemort sort of character, like living off unicorn blood or something, living where, on top of the hill. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's it is just such a great scene where he looks down, or the moment where he looks down the Kurt Cobain That's guitar, so funny. and he's just shattered. <laughs> That's like just hilarious. Because well, the imp- the joke works on like so many levels. Because it works as just a bit joke that he's upset, but it also works this joke that you're kind of like making fun of nirvana because it's like it's it's the perfectly no, no, nirvana aimed is supposed joke. to be like yes. peak authenticity yeah like and culturally. but also like contrastingly it's peak 90s peak like this is authentic but maybe it's actually a bunch of suits promoting this authentic thing yeah. so it's such a fantastic bit there i think nirvana are funny as well because obviously kurt cobain stands for so much and he obviously died early enough that people can blame it on like the modern the toxicity of celebrity in hollywood do you know what i mean like he's a perfect martyr for that idea as well and he's someone who also like battled with the fact that they were severely successful as well you know i don't know there's lots of layers to it and like i guess that goes to like all the references that are in this film like there's lots of layers to it and i i will we were praising it before but i'll praise it here as well like i really like that sort of filmmaking or even just like in any art where it's you're referencing other things because automatically there's so much extra context added by paying homage to something or referencing something else. I think it's really smart. Yeah, uh, when it's done right. Like mm. I find in some movies, if you 
can't think of any off the top of my head, but there's been, there's a few where like you're referencing things just to reference them. Mm. Yeah. But this has a bit to say about everything it references too. Can't remember the proper term. Something something textual. Intertextuality. Like, intertextuality. Yeah. That's it. Um, yeah, I really like that aspect of it because it's it's definitely got something to say about every single bit of art it's referencing. Yeah. Um, or even alluding to as well. And I think you can tell it comes from like a place of love. So like when you do fake something like that, it's because you're like jumping on something that's popular. Yeah. But some of the memes in this are quite deep down. Like I just think it's hilarious when he pulls... I think another one of the best scenes or scenes that I love is when he gets the the bracelet from the dad and he's like, NPM, Nintendo Power yeah. Magazine. And then it lines up. Like that's such a... That's a hilarious joke. Like I... I think it's first of all I think like it's such a great character idea to go conspiracy theorists and then the idea to go like oh he's actually telling the truth and like every conspiracy turns out it's true like that's hilarious and I, then I, I like yeah. that aspect of it but I also liked where it ends up as well like for the ending like the conspiracy theories end up being true but they don't mean anything yeah. it's like everyone's just going to go on with their lives like he hasn't like shown the world about what all the elites do when they... Yeah, it's not judging what, what, the elites yeah, particularly. Yeah. It's just like, oh, this is what happens. This is what Hollywood, this is what entertainment, this is what, I don't know, the world is. Yeah. So be it. I'm just going to go sleep with my next door neighbor. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty hilarious that they're like... Well, just in that clip before, they're like, why would they put a message in a message? And then... The fact that the piano man's going like the message wasn't meant yeah. for you. <laughs> oh, it has so it has so many great quotes like talking about itself. Yeah. Um. There's one I'll get it up. Um. But I remember it from like the first time, and I thought instantly like, oh, this is. You're, it's just you, a funny. You're, you're taking the piss here. It's yeah. a funny fluff to make fun of yeah. him by going, "It's not made for you," yeah. and then not to explain oh. who it actually is made for. It, it's silly wasting your energy on something that doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I thought that's yeah. Like there's so there's like all the code, like Morse code and all the animal codes and symbolism in the movie. Where if you're willing to dissect it all, mm. you, you will get a meaning from it. But it doesn't. It's just a movie. Yeah. Like it's just a movie. You're not solving the. Oh, uh, what is it? The, the like the the what the World War Two enigma? Yeah, enigma. Yeah, you know, you're not solving that. You There's do no it. purpose to solving. Exactly. This yeah. is a made up. And that's story. what he's doing as yeah. a character, and yeah. then you can do as a viewer. Well, isn't it kind of ironic that there's a subreddit committed to the codes in this film when it's literally making fun of that character who's yeah. committing to doing that in the film? I think they know they're doing that. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, I think sometimes it's, it's still just quite... fun to put yourself like put all your energy into yeah. something. Like, it's still even... quite active as well. Like there's a few posts every week on it. Yeah, I saw yeah. that like one day ago. And yeah. I'm like my goodness. But yeah, that. So, yeah, the culture around this sort of, like, validates it a little bit, which is... So, I'm glad I knew no context about this because I got that after I'd formed my opinion. I think knowing if there was a community having not seen it, I would have been, like, more willing to give it a chance because I'm like, oh, if all these people like it, then there must be something here. Um, getting completely no context was pretty hilarious. And I didn't think... Yeah, as I said earlier, it, it wouldn't always swing the right way, but it did, fortunately, this time for me. So, yeah, basically what I'm saying is I was a fan of the film. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Another a reference thing. I thought... So, I watched the first, like, hour 40 thinking that the whole bit was... I thought it was supposed to be making fun of Hitchcock characters. I thought the whole joke was he's basically a Hitchcock character. But if you are so obsessed with solving a conspiracy, you're probably a lunatic. Mm. So, I thought it was making I fun of, like, James of Stewart. Yeah. You know? like, uh, in Vertigo especially. Yes. Like, the first time you watch Vertigo... 
it's like, oh, this guy's a bit obsessed, especially like with all the twists it takes. But he's a protagonist, so he must be... He's like, onto something. Yeah, he's onto something. <laughs> we might, we might, we're supposed to root for him. Yeah. But like watching it like two, three times, you think, oh, no, he's crazy. Yeah. Like especially towards the end. No, he is... I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him the antagonist or anything, but he's not yeah, as holy as he's anti-hero, yeah. slightly no one's in the right sort of yeah. thing. And that's like with Andrew Garfield in this as well. Like a lot of the people he injures in this, like the kids at the start. Which is hilarious. Which I love to see which him is very funny. the kids in the face with yeah. um, The lead singer of Jesus in the yeah. bar mm. toilet and the songwriter as well. Can't, think, can't remember if there's any other parts of that. It's like none of them are necessarily good people, but he's still like pretty excessive with all of them. Yeah. Like his violence gets progressively worse throughout mm. it. Mm, true. Um, and he, yeah, he's definitely not the hero of this story. Mm. Not that there is a hero. But yeah, I, th- I just, the thing I keep coming back to is that it's like, it was a fun movie to watch. I liked going everywhere. Um, as we talked about the runtime briefly, but it was too long. I would have cut it shorter. Like, I, this film is a lot better if it's an hour 40, I reckon, or an hour 50. Like, even like a straight two hours, just getting rid of the, like, it's what, two hours 19, I think. Because yeah. the scene I hated, basically, is I didn't like the scene at the end where he talks to the hippie man. Yeah. That I felt agree. so cliche and overdone. Um, it, it's just like, I, I don't know if it's just because I don't like, like, Maybe I've been coded so hard that I don't like that person, so then I don't like seeing them on screen. But hippie old dudes just annoy annoy me. Yeah, uh, I could see that almost being a riff on like in at the end of Psycho as well. There's a whole explanation too of why Norman Bates is Norman Bates. Mm. Um, so I don't like I don't know. I'm, I'm giving him too much credit if I say he's taking the piss out of that because I still didn't like the scene. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But I yeah. think that's also alluding to that a little bit as well. Because even the coverage of that shot's pretty interesting. Like, the fact that... Well, first of all, I, I, I did think that when they push... The, so, they have the TV facing the, they go behind the people it. in the background. And then they turn it around. I don't know if it's deliberate. It probably is. But what one thing that's, one idea that stood out to me was... Oh, was the sunlight dropping and they wanted to put it behind them so they could, like, cheat the light a bit differently or something like that. Um but the way that she's filmed from the bunker looks very like 1950s. Like it's very like fake backdrop. And I, I found a lot of it like that, especially the lighting of the nighttime, the scene set at night. Because mm, um, you've got spotlights on their face. Yeah, it's very artificial. Like there's a few scenes where it works, like, at, well, like it looks almost natural, like at the, the apartment complex he's staying at because of, like they'd have street lights mm. and whatnot there. But there's a few other scenes where it's like this does not. This is this is purposely fake. This is yeah. like MGM like musical almost yeah. saturation. But it um, made it hilarious. Like yeah. when they stepped into key lights and stuff like that, it was really funny. Like especially they did it with women a bunch because the film is definitely we haven't we pro- we'll get into this soon. But like the way that it treats women is very much like. Oh, Hollywood, beautiful woman. Oh, let's yeah. make show hottie on screen sort yeah. of thing. It, it's sexist, completely sexist, but it's on purpose, which doesn't necessarily make it right. And I can mm. understand the criticisms yeah. that I've seen where they see it as a negative, which it is, but it's also... Yeah, let's dive into that. But it's also the point of the movie, I so, think. Yeah, so... Well, a point, it's got many points. The film copped a lot of shit for being sexist and male gazy. Um, the director in an interview said... Oh, if people, I'm upset that, like, out of all the takes that I've had, I'm upset that people think it's sexist. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we can talk about the scene where 
they have a drone and they're perving on a woman in her underwear and she literally starts crying. Yeah. That seem, that has to be a parody. That explains... Oh, definitely. Because <laughs> you the, expect her to get undressed and the, like, oh, the, they've succeeded in their mission of getting footage of her with yeah, the drone. Yeah, being a creep. Yeah. But I think that's what the movie's doing. Like, that's yeah. it, right? It, well, it, and yeah, and I think... That like even the way that scene ends is hilarious. It's just like uh, later, man. <laughs> and <then they laughs> yeah. Just leave. yeah. Um, and Topher Grace's character is pretty great. Um, I love that he doesn't even have a name. Like he's in the credits as like his barmate. Yeah, his um, barmate. Like, I've got that. Barmate, it's got it? like so. Actually, I was going to complain about this, so I respect that you like it. But the fact it's got Topher Grace's bar buddy. We've got Don McManus's final man. We've got Jeremy Bobber's songwriter. That one probably makes sense. Uh, Ricky Lindholm is actress. We've got comic fan, balloon girl, shooting star, topless bird woman, um, Jefferson Savant. That's uh, a real name, <laughs> a character name. Uh, I do like that they call him Jesus. That's pretty yeah. funny. Um, I don't know. Not a fan of not naming your characters. I gotta say, it, it seems a bit pretentious for me. Uh, like it's oh, this movie. I complained about in Tenant with yeah. uh, the protagonist as well. Yeah, but I, uh, this is so different from Tenant. Like. Yeah what it's doing by not naming its character though yeah. you know i yeah. find like something being pretentious doesn't automatically make it bad yeah yeah like yeah. Uh, like i i agree it's this is one of the most pretentious movies i've ever seen like it's it's but it's on purpose um but i feel like for this like i didn't even know until i looked up after the movie that Andrew Andrew Garfield's character's name was Sam. Yeah, like it's not mentioned. So like it's the same with other characters. Like it's not relevant to the story. It's yeah. And then that goes in with I saw I don't know it would have been some trivia thing like Riley Keough's character's name's Sarah. So it goes like the Sam Sarah that whole thing, which is cool, but it has no relevance to the movie other than like it's like a Buddhism thing. Yeah. Yeah. So sexism. Um, Just because I think it's worth chatting about a little more. Uh, we don't have to like fully expose ourselves talking about this. Um, I thought I think that it's making fun of sexism, and I think it's. it's I think if we're going, Sam, if we're yeah. going through the lens where Sam is, you a know, shit person. a shit, a shit bloke, hero, yeah, a shit, a shit hero, exactly. Then it's playing into it, and I think that you can talk about it in the fact that it does a lot of its, you know, um, objectifying like very literally with the camera as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mentioned this as we were watching it, but I actually like love the technique that they like zoom in on the woman's butt and it's like making him seem like a really shit bloke because yeah. if you don't zoom in, the implication is you're still doing that. Yeah. But yeah. then by zooming in on it, exactly. it's like going, yeah. oh, how should, like, yeah. don't you feel a bit yeah. gross watching this now? Yeah. Um, that's, so that's where I, I think it's deliberate and I think yeah. it's, a, it's an honest technique. I don't yeah. think that other films are honest enough to do that. I think it works really well. I feel this about like anti-war movies as well. Mm. Like there's only a few like true anti-war movies because like something like Hacksaw, like Andrew Garfield, like Hacksaw Ridge or um, uh, Saving Private Ryan and a few of the more mainstream like like quote unquote anti-war movies. Yeah. They're still not celebrating war. Yeah. It's but it's still got, epic. yeah, it's still got moments that could be classed as epic or um, heroic or just yeah, like you don't necessarily enjoy what you're watching, but it's entertaining, as any movie should. Every movie should have some form of entertainment in it. And I feel that's the same with... But, yeah, just because they're anti-war, they're always going to be celebrating war to an extent because that's yeah. why they exist. They've still got the epic moments. And so I feel about, like, the way sexism is depicted in these sort of movies as well. Like, yeah, it's a sexist movie, but, that, like, it's kind of flipped from the war. Like, it's... 
a sexist movie, but that's the point. Yeah. Like, it's 100% going for it. Uh, like, just because it's taking the piss out of sexist characters and sexism in Hollywood doesn't mean it's not sexist. Mm. But it's on the better side of it because it is aware of it. Yeah. It depends. Like, yeah. I, well, does that make, more so make the argument be like, why are you doing this? Like, we get it. You know, people. <laughs> people I think. It, I think it did. I think it did reel back to what, like in the second half, though. I think it got its point. Like, there's not too many. Like after the pool shot where she gets out, like the Marilyn but even Monroe that's shot. Dumb. Like yeah. that's deliberately oh, dumb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's like old, old Hollywood as well with mm. Marilyn Monroe. But mm. um, like after that scene, there's not a whole lot of the perversion aspect of it. Um, because they've already kind of, I guess he's already made his point with that. Yeah, the other theory I read, um, I do respect a film that can generate a few theories, and I like the idea that there's not a clear theory that wins. That's cool. I don't think it's easy to do that um, and do it properly, but they were saying that maybe, well, there's suggestions that he's the, the dog killer, which isn't, first of all, it's not particularly important. That's my biggest takeaway. It's like a red herring, you know. After watching it, and thinking about it a few, like for a while, I don't think it's important if you know who the dog killer is, so I'm not torn up about it. Um, but they were suggesting that he's the dog killer and like he sees women as like, like he associates the women with the dogs. That's why they like bark at him and stuff. And so maybe the dog killer is an association with murdering women or something like that and like feeling disconnected from women. Well, um, my, my, most of the dogs he sees. Uh, other than the ones like in the backyard, uh, in the front yard that are barking as him as he's walking by, are uh, with their female owners, I think. So that, well, that, that probably holds up. That, yeah, that's probably got something to do with yeah. sexuality at least. Yeah. And, well, I think, it, yeah, it does sort of a good job of acting like guys, like as an angle that this is a guy who can't relate to women. Mm. Like he very much puts on another persona. He's just not himself around women. And I think that's an interesting part of his character. Just that to me, it all seemed kind of very obvious that it was condemning him, is, is not, all I'm going to say. Not, not subtle at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, I feel like that's kind of the, the absurdity of that scene where they're perving on the girl and she starts crying. That kind of like signified that the most to me. Um, I don't know. That, that's another scene I feel like could be taken out of the movie, and like that, that it's kind of like a classic deleted scene. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, has no bearing like on the has no bearing on the plot at all. Yeah. It's there just to strengthen a couple of like yeah. themes. Um, just to like Topher Grace filmed a few scenes, so he might as well be in the movie <laughs> for more than the one bar scene. Yeah, I feel you like... didn't get a close up of Topher's face for ages because I heard his voice. I'm like, that's Topher Grace, right? But I didn't know, and then it took till like a few moments into that shot, to, yeah. oh, that scene to know. I like how he does these sort of movies. Like he has no need to do it because he's earning those those fat royalties from that '70s show. <laughs> like he doesn't need to work another day in his life. He just makes his yeah. his Lord of the Rings and Star Wars fan edits. Like he's he's set. He, but he still does these sort of. Weirdo like, movies, yeah. I don't know. He's not. I don't love him, to be honest. Oh, I sort of <laughs> no. do. I feel like these corny actors do like they do the full arc. They go like, I like. Why him is this, this guy everywhere? I don't think he's actually good at. And then you go, oh, it's hilarious. I like him in this role, but like you know, like he was in that Black Mirror episode. Have you seen that Which one? Which one? Where he's like the owner of like whatever the alternative to Facebook is, and he's no. like some Zen guy who's on a retreat anyway he just plays him like the exact way you'd imagine Topher Grace to play that character and you're a bit like oh yeah okay but I think like I reckon he knows he's not the best actor though <laughs> like in um oh he's what's he in Black Klansman 
Like he mm. plays, is it David Duke, the yeah. uh, the head, the Grand Wizard? Like he plays him well because he's not meant to be a good person. Mm. So Topher Grace doesn't need to play him that well. He can yeah. just be a shithead the whole time. Yes. So for those sort of roles and this sort of role where there's no bearing on the plot, he has no influence, he's just the guy to get drunk with in this. Like he plays it pretty well. Yeah, I think so. Like big, we were talking about this. Big, big actors or famous actors like they don't have to be particularly big but act big actors in small roles works like every time it's so rewarding um like bill murray in all the wes anderson movies was the specific example you love to say it do you want to do a bit do you want to give me a spiel i want the the unaffected about what i think the movie was about yeah um I don't know. Okay, I'll start with literally and see if I come up with anything good out of it. Yeah, fair. And we've covered a lot of this ground already and then I'd say that and Andrew Garfield is your protagonist who by the end of it you realise is the person who's being condemned by the film in that he's some um, person who's come to Hollywood on this kind of self- sense of like entitlement that he's special or whatever and then it leads to a thing where it's like the world doesn't make sense so therefore he's got to be a person who cracks some code or some conspiracy theory. And that there must be some meaning beyond it that explains it, or that you know his purpose has to be to crack some of this like code, like the you know that the fact that he is not a good contributing member of society and that he's misogynistic and all this sort of stuff is irrelevant because he's going to be some person who cracks some vast conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. And it lets him it. get away with his shit behavior. Yeah, like he'll buy a girl drinks at the bar, but he won't pay his rent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And then there's obviously a, a whole bunch of stuff about Hollywood, which I guess you guys probably have a better gaze on than I do. I feel like it's, I feel like it's fake Hollywood for us to claim that we understand Hollywood. <laughs> but you've been there for a little bit more than hey, I have. Hey, I so. rubbed Newt. If only I'd seen the film, I would have rubbed <laughs> James Dean's, Dean's head, head and yeah. stood under Newton. Uh, you can, I reckon I, they would have had to film that early in the day. Yeah. Like that was an early morning sunrise, I reckon, just because like, there's no one around. All right, they would have had to shoot it there because it looked like it looks real enough. Yeah, um, yeah, that was that was that was a good scene as well. Yeah, a- any any movie with Griffiths of any scene with the observatory in it. Yeah, I, I automatically love it. <laughs> Two remorseful things came out of this film. I wish I'd done that first of all. Like that would have been such a good meme. Imagine just like taking so your photo, rubbing. You would post it on the subreddit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> they would have loved me. Um, and then the I'm other sure one. I'm sure if you go on it, there's pictures of people rubbing you would, you would think so. Newton. Yeah. 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 And the other one is, I'm sad I didn't go to Hollywood Cemetery. Yeah, yeah I'm the same. Sick. That would have been cool. Yeah. I, I know of it. So we mm. immediately heard it and we're like, the Father John Misty what? song. Uh, I thought the same as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. If that really is there, if that underground stuff is there, that is unreal. That seems so cool. I'm not sure if the underground. They definitely have um, movie screenings there. Yeah. Um, and like the are they real burial sites? Or yeah, just- yeah, they're real burial sites. So like a lot of famous people have been buried there. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure about the underground stuff. That'd be cool. I feel like they they might. It's just not for the public. Yeah. Actually, what leads me to an unreal piece of trivia. This was this is some of the best trivia I've read before. Um, and it's not in his trivia section. Oh shit. <laughs> um, so, the location Sam finds at the end of the tunnel with the homeless king's help is the same location at the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey. I literally thought that. The bed looked the same. I had that thought, I swear to God. How? Did you think that as well? No, I didn't. Yeah, no, I thought that, but I didn't say anything. How unreal is that? That's cool. That's the Pretty best cool. trivia. It's, like, an, it's a nice... It looks like a comfy bed. When I, when I arrived in LA and went one of my early days, I went to In-N-Out and we spoke... I was wearing my 2001 jumper, which... 
And then the guy behind the counter is some dude in like the in and out outfit, so he's got like the hat on and the <laughs> shirt. Like they look, they really clown their employees at In and Out. Um, and this dude's like, oh, you like Stanley Kubrick? I'm a big Kubrick fan. <laughs> and I'm like, yep. And he's like, oh, I went to the exhibition of Kubrick last year. And it's just hilarious to think that like Kubrick is, I don't know, he's like, he's mythological now. Like, especially, it, it, I don't know, basically it just means that when people die, they become even more legendary. But well, what does it make you think, having lived in LA, are you glad that you're a film student in Melbourne? Oh yeah, I feel like I actually have an angle. <laughs> if you have if your angle is being in so I could see why you'd move to LA and be a film person because by as my speech about the Rust Belt went, like there are there are jobs in LA because LA is exported and people go, Oh, I need to export something. So oh you know, like let's make something, we go to LA. So that does completely exist. So I'm envious of that. But the fact that this film exists and about fifteen and thirty and the hundred films about LA exist is like maybe it is nice being on the precipice of something that's a bit less explored, you know. Like I've seen, um, but also like you're competing with the guy from In and Out who's a big Kubrick head, exactly. And you're the film, you know, like he made the, the film the, 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 the amount of people that move over there to think that they can make mm. it too, and which is what it's Andrew scary. Garfield's kind of doing. Like he moves to he moves to LA without like a clear agenda, but thinks that it's gonna. Do we work find for out him. what he does for work or what he should be doing for work? No, because he's never like every time someone's like, "Oh, how's work?" It's such like a meme. But you get yeah. the idea that it's something to do with film or film adjacent or media adjacent. Yeah, I guess because well, you can tell he's got an interest in it. Yeah, exactly. Because he's got all the posters. He's, like he's you. He's, <laughs> he's got the classic Hitchcock. He, he's me. No, uh, I'm sorry. That, that's, that comes when I was watching it savagely. Well, I'm making fun of him. Well, when I was watching it, it was like looking in a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> One star. <laughs> Hated it. David Robert Mitchell's a hack. <laughs> no, um, it's just like, yeah, I completely agree with this point that there are a bunch of people who are in LA and their angle is LA, you know. Um, I just don't think I'd have the energy to like... Because it's all about like verbally affirming yourself or like verbally separating yourself from other people all the time because there's an assumption like, you know, you go to one of these parties that's in the film and it's like, okay, you're a creative or you're like someone. So I like that about this film. I liked that it was doing that thing where it was like, oh, the high, the highbrow people suck. They're so artsy. But it was like, it was played really comedically in this film. And I think it's actually an angle that you can do, but I like that they didn't do it too much either because... I know I've just, that sort of has talked around in circles, but like, so the other thing that this made me think of is Bojack because Bojack is obviously making fun of Hollywood and stuff, but Bojack does it in such an explicit way. The closest scene that we get to Bojack is when we've got that really weird scene where Andy Garfield's walking out and he meets his... Andy Garfield's he, also in Bojack. He is. is he loves Who is he in Bojack? He's Andy Garfield in... He's the guy that... Oh, really? dates, um, what's the name? The guy that falls in the Halloween sh- shop. That's an empty floor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but he yeah. dates the young girl when... She, you know the girl who dies? I can't remember her name. Oh, yeah. Spoiler, Sarah, sorry. Sarah Lynn. Yes, he dates Sarah Lynn oh, for wow. like an episode. I didn't even realise. As Andy Garfield. Yeah, he's Andy Garfield. He hates Mondays, but he loves lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the, you, get, <laughs> you get that scene in uh, Under the Silver Lake where it, it's shot and I just have to talk about both things at once, but like... The cinematography in that scene where he sees his ex-girlfriend is really weird. It's shot in wide and it's the only other scene that I can remember is that scene where they go dancing. It's shot wide. Um, 
and it's deliberately it's, sort it's like of a, disorienting. It's, yeah, it's a it's a wide, wide. It's like almost a fish island. Yeah, wide, yeah. you're stuck in the curve and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then that interaction, we could talk about that. Not necessarily on my agenda, but um, when the the they're stepping out the door, and he goes like. Oh, and she's the first person to write her own show, do the sound design, so do the funny. cinematography of a sitcom, and she's twelve years old. Yeah, and, and then like, you actually see her with yeah. her big security guard. Yeah. As well. yeah, um, that's hilarious. But I'm so glad that the film doesn't overplay that. The way it makes fun of those people is more casually. The other one that came up on the clip we just watched is the girl who's dressed up like that '50s um, factory worker woman, feminist icon. And she's talking about the male gaze and stuff like that and reading yeah. a script. That's like, where you have to know that this film is knows what it's doing. Yeah. Um, but that party is good. And I like the Jesus characters. First of all, I think the song kind of slaps Well, a here's the bit. question. This is what I was going <laughs> to ask. What do we think? Are they good? Are they a good band? I would see them. Yeah. I would, yeah. Like, like it's a kind of a stand at the back and nod your head with your arms crossed <laughs> sort of band, I think. Yeah. I think that's a good song. Yeah. I don't... I can't see them as an LA a band hyped in LA. That's my thing, though. I, okay. I, so I, I I can I can see them being like a like a playing those sort of mid range venues, just mm. like yeah, just like you get a few devote fans at the front. Okay, hear but, me out. So if your your iteration of them is real, they're not that popular. But what I'm guessing yours is is they come from somewhere ironic. And they're doing the Jesus characters, and then they're super huge because they've transcended. They, so, they almost sound like a cover band. They could almost be like a cover band. But they had a Lana Del Rey vibe to me. Like they're doing that. Like the, the sideshow by the Bride of Dracula is definitely that. Yeah, vibe. It's, yeah, it's making fun of that. Like people were into feelsy, folksy music. Um, but yeah, I thought they were another thing to like about this film. I thought those characters were really funny, and I think that the whole vinyl thing and. Well, I, 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 it makes me think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well, obviously. But they're doing like the cultish sort of thing that um, the Mansons mm. are doing. Which I think I, that was a... It felt like that was, they were trying to do a real homage, homage to that. Anyway, I just... I thought the party's really funny. And the way that they pop the balloons, I think, is really good as well. It's shot sort of like... They're posing <laughs> and then she's just like... Pop, pop, pop. I don't know. I like the party scenes. I think they're really fun to watch. And I think it's not done two extreme ways like the two different ways you can go with it you're admiring these artsy people but then the other one is that you're going oh these people are a bunch of idiots but i think what this film sort of ends up is going that these people exist like they're not really making a definitive decision on these artsy people and those sort of parties exist as well yeah it's like not everyone that goes is aware that they're part of a stereotype and or they might not it's it's a stere- stereotypes exist because they that yeah, exists it's a like thing. it's yeah. a thing exactly so well, his friends pretty because it's like yeah. you, you can't condemn it when it's just people like not following their dreams per se but it's like it's it's people being stereotypes because that's what the cultural pressure is like in hollywood you know and it's you know people aren't inherently like that i, I don't think necessarily it's like yeah the city it's talking about the city itself versus saying these people are the worst maybe what what do you think the um the daughter of the billionaire is doing in this film? She's pretty interesting. You don't have to have an answer. She's pretty dense, and especially like the the funny thing about this film is that there's so many layers that we can have tackled something that I thought was pretty important, and yet there's something else we could have sunk our teeth into, like which I respect about this film. I think swinging for the fences is you might as well go for it. I thought she kind of looked. I don't know. I can't remember the the daughter's name in it, but I thought she looked a bit like Riley Keough in it. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, or if that's just me being bad with faces. <laughs> but they both had like the big eyes, like they were both 
don't know, like blonde, like one was blonde, one was brunette. Um, like I know what her name but, is. There's a bunch yeah. of sevenses, and I assume <laughs> she's one of the sevenses. Um, but I felt they both had kind of similar vibes as well. Like one was obviously more Dale because like yeah. she was playing off that her father had just died in a horrible car wreck. Um, that scene's good though, yeah. where they're walking along the street, and it's pretty. Yeah. I think it's a, a really funny the scene where speech. he yells at the homeless yeah. man yeah. and he gives his rant. I thought that was like peak taking the piss of the movie as well. Just saying like, oh, I hate the homeless. Yeah. Like they're, they're the bullies of society. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, 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 this is this is good. That's this a great a, movie take yeah. to do something so and also what the audience yeah. wants. And also because homelessness is such a big problem in LA as well. Like it's very, like one thing I found when we were over there is that it's quite similar to Melbourne. Like the quantity of people is like just through the roof over there. But the places they gather and like how they set up, um, like the tent cities, it's it's kind of a similar atmosphere when you're walking through. Um, so I thought like because it's such a specific problem to LA, um, I thought that was a good take on it. Not that, not one that I agree with, yeah, obviously, yeah, no, agree. <laughs> obviously. But I thought that was like a good good spin on what a, yeah. a good character a California it, movie would. It's like show late it, in the yeah. film, so it's kind of like you know if you're it's still with Andy in. Garfield, like, yeah, get off this train right now. <laughs> also, a great moment where she gets shot and then cups her boobs exactly the like the, play, the, yeah. the magazine. Yeah, that was another point as well where I thought, like, I've said it twice now. Take, well, I said more than twice. I've said it a lot of times. Taking the piss because that's as obvious as it, as it gets. Yeah. But they knew they weren't being subtle with that for the Playboy cover. Yeah, when I, I was amazed looking at the IMDb facts for this and they're like, oh, did you know, spoilers, that when she gets shot, she does this pose like, what? Like, how, how out of it do you have that? to be yeah. to not notice that? It's got like the on the YouTube thumbnail, it's got the big red circle <laughs> on it, like arrow, yellow arrows yeah. pointing. Yeah, yeah. Man, what else do you want to cover? We got the Our Lady. We do you have, have to do Our Lady. Let's do Our Lady. Our Lady. I want to hear thoughts about Our Lady. Please, Ben. Well, I'm the first time I watched it, I wasn't. I thought that was just kind of like a red herring. I thought oh, this is just like a thing in noirs, just to chuck everything and see what sticks. Like not necessarily what sticks, but like what's part of the plot. Um, but then after reading a bit about it, I saw that she might have been a metaphor for suicide, and I thought that was a really interesting take on it mm. um, because like the author of the Zine. It's a zine, isn't it? Zine. 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 Magazine. Zine. Yeah. A little comic thing. Um, <laughs> he, they say, he, like, was it, did he kill himself in it? Is that how? It, That's what they the yeah. say. Yeah. Where, like, in the movie, it's like, oh, no, he was actually murdered by the Owl Lady. But no, like, he killed himself. And then when, when um, every time she appears with Andrew Garfield. Sam, no one else is Sam, there as well. Not, yeah, I don't think anyone else is there. But it's also at points when he's quite, like, low mentally. Yeah, so and what's that just after? It's just after... So she appears when he's walking down the path and that's with like the dog treats. I can't remember what that one's after, but the second... Yeah, I think they only see each other twice. And in the apartment. Yeah. In the apartment and that's after he's had the conversation with the songwriter and he's like ruined mm. his dreams and yeah. everything. right. And then, yeah, like he's at his lowest. He's got the gun as well. Yeah. And then like the poster through the hallway is A Farewell to Arms um, and that's an adaption of an Ernest Hemingway book. I think that's one of his most popular ones. I watched that movie last year. It's quite good. Um, but I don't, I don't know if the movie has any relevance to it, but Hemingway killed himself yeah. with a gun. Mm-hmm. So I, I could see that. And it's got arms in the title, I guess, yeah. or some sort of thing. Exactly. I could see the, the relation to the movie. Mm. And like you see the poster before they, they actually confront each other, before he scares her off. Um, and then she's not to be seen again. 
So I thought that was like an interesting mm. take on it. And making it a woman yeah. is kind of in line with the films. Thing exactly. Yeah. Women are everything but people. And, <laughs> and all she's got is like, I don't know if like the, her head's an actual owl head or if it's a mask or yeah. helmet or whatever. But like she's got nothing else on and that just like plays into the whole, mm. the, the sexist argument that the movie's going for. I think the way the Our Lady walks is hilarious. Like, I just love it. Well, I thought it's just hilarious <laughs> when so she satisfying. appears. <laughs> like, In the re- fact that he checks the tape and she says, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wasn't sure if that was going to be like, oh, shit, she's actually there now. Like, he's like yeah. seeing a live a live reel of what's happening. Because he thought, plays it back. Yeah. He rewinds and she's looking at the camera. He's like, oh. Well, it, like, like, he rewinds. She's looking at the camera and then it cuts back to Andy and then back to the screen. I'm like, Wait, does that mean she's here now? No, it's just... just. He, he reacts to it like she's there. Like, yeah. I thought the same thing. Yeah. That's, that's very Mulholland, I reckon. I feel like that character and bit is sort of like, you know, how in Mulholland they have that scene where she's singing, but she's not really singing. Yeah. I feel oh, like the Club Silencio. Oh, one of my beautiful. favorites. Pretty so classic. Yeah. I feel like that is doing a similar thing where it's like, hey, why don't we just generate an emotion? Like, it doesn't really have to make sense, yeah. but if you feel it, it still counts. And that's, like, the the Our Lady is, like, suspense for suspense sake, sort of. Like, mm. it doesn't affect the plot, but it just yeah. makes you feel something. Yeah. That's definitely a thing with this film. There's, like, lots of stuff that, it, you know, it's, like, a, it's doing something well when there's stuff that doesn't necessarily make sense, but you you, like, you get that emotional reaction that just feels right and, like, consistent and not out of place, you know, and that's one of those moments, I guess, in this, yeah. Well, that, that sorry, that's a, that's a big noir thing as well, like chi- like Chinatown and um, The Big Sleep as well. Like, like, I love Chinatown, not so much the director behind it, but I lo- like, it's like it's a great, me- like it's... Good spra- take right there. Good, that it's ice cold. Um, <laughs> um, like sprawling across LA, um, like about the water supply, about the corruption. About, we almost uh, did it on the pod, so we yeah, both watched it. Yeah. And yeah, I, I saw a lot of similarities with that because there's a few things. Chinatown's a bit more succinct in like everything ends up being relevant almost. Up, yeah. But then like something like The Big Sleep, it's like one of the one of like the cornerstone noirs, like with Humphrey Bogart and mm. I think Lauren Bacall. Um, but that's not that's like got its fans. That movie, it's like one of the most critically adored movies. Not the biggest fan of it, just because it does it's try it throw, like has so many different mm. plot lines in it, and a lot of them don't end up being relevant or being resolved. So where I could see it in this, where like like the Our Lady, like the dog killer, like um, even kind of like the end, like it, nothing's resolved by the end. Mm. Um, I yeah, could, yeah, I could see that a lot in this. But, yeah, I'll give it, but like I, I think I was giving it praise, and that the, the stu- some of the stuff that doesn't tie up does work still. The dog killer stuff I still liked, yeah. and I'd feel like if I'm doing an edit, I wouldn't cut that from the film, for no. example. And well, same with the Our Lady, I wouldn't cut that from the film. Do you prefer The Dog Killer as a movie or Zodiac? Where <laughs> Basically, I watched Zodiac <laughs> and it kind of annoyed me because like I've seen Mindhunter since and I think that Zodiac is Fincher cutting his teeth, them, teeth for Mindhunter, but Mindhunter is just better and like you get conclusion and you get emotion and it just seems you a bit ridiculous really get to me. Conclu- you don't necessarily get conclusion. In yeah, in the best way though. Right. Like... The whole statement of Mindhunter Season is Season two of Mindhunter is a big like, like... But that's such a... It's so powerful. Like the whole Mindhunter... You've, have you seen it? No. I haven't seen Zodiac oh. either. It's, it's, both of those I've got to... Again, i got, I got to watch yeah, it. Yeah, no, I got, TV. I um, got to watch TV it. is a hard commitment. But yeah. if I could... Like Mindhunter is probably my one of my favorite shows ever. 
Like, it's just so good. It was also a good time just watching it together. <laughs> just good fun. We were just, yeah. Wait, Ben was around too, We'd right? We'd sit down with our decafs and eat, <laughs> eat ice cream and watch Mindhunter. <laughs> yeah. Mindhunter's... And I think Mindhunter's going to ascend to, like, legendary, depending on... Do you reckon it. the hype... Have you... But, like, if we're talking about it now, like, the people hype about it still? Like, like you're the biggest you know, advocate you know. from... Okay. If you know, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I spent the whole of 2019 going, like, Mindhunter's the best show. But that's okay. all Fincher did from, like, 2014 to yeah. Bank, right? Oh, he did a bit of House of Cards too, didn't he, as yeah, well? I yeah. guess so. But then his whole point with why there's no season three is because he's like, it takes too much of my time. Yeah. And it's like, and I think also... Bro, I don't care. I'd rather... <laughs> yeah. I think the view- viewership in um, for season two as well wasn't what they thought. And it cost a fair bit of money. I think it'll come back. Yeah. Like, oh, kind of optimistic. Yeah. It's got too many fans. I yeah. I think stuff like that is just like when they say, we're cancelled, it's just so everyone goes, we want it, you know? Mm. Fleabag. There's going to be a season three. You just know. Absolutely. Get, get the petitions going. <laughs> you watch Fleabag, right? I haven't seen Fleabag as well. I thought well. we talked about it. <laughs> no. I thought you had some. No. So no, you've I've got just either. given up on TV completely. Kind of, What yeah. have you watched? Gilmore Girls? No. Uh, weeds? I, I started watching that, um, that Central Park. Uh, Central Perk? Or Central Park? Central Park. The, the, the animated one. Central yeah. Perk is Friends. Oh, God. Yeah, God, Central Perk is Friends. cringe. I start, like, watched three episodes of that. It's like, it's, it's fine. It's disposable. <laughs> it's actually like it's a bit of a musical as well, so. It's like it's like interesting, but um, no, I've, I think the last show I watched, like last, like little series, was Normal People. Um, which I think was, we did talk about that. yeah, which I liked, um, which is probably but, but I like limited series <laughs> because it's like a you, certain yeah, end point. That's yeah, it. move on. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll write you the definitive list. <laughs> oh, trust me, I, I've got I've got oh, a big list, but yeah, I, yeah. I just can't get through it. <laughs> I feel like TV is such a funny one as well because like. I feel very conspiracy on TV. It's like, who do I trust? Like, you mm. get recommendations and then you watch and like, bruh, yeah. like, this is terrible. There's so much especially, TV though. Especially yeah. the time commitment. Like it's a, a big deal. Like, what, 90 hours for some shows? I feel like Mindhunter is a must watch. As someone yeah. who, if you like Fincher at all, it's, at all, yeah, okay. you have to watch it. It's succinct as well, like, it's short enough as yeah. well where you can kind of get through it. Yes, in a you short can. It's good. I would say season, we're off track, um, Everything season two is good. Though. Season two is definitely a unique yeah. experience, I would say. Like you know, when you watch something and it's like emotionally doing something that's kind of different from what you're used to. I I think that's what's good about season is, two. Isn't season two so? Season one was kind of like murder of the week sort of thing, wasn't it? And then season two is more of a story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, back to my. my I was going to go back to my, my home drive. drive. <laughs> back on Do we have much more? Uh, I want to hear more theories, you know? Yeah. I, I want to hear what I you think... guys think of what it's about. What does it all yeah, mean? Go back. I don't know. That's like, I don't really have like a unique take on what it's about though. I, I see it as like, um, like the obsession leading to nothing and the power, like, um, like a good comparison I saw about it was like in Blue Velvet um, where like the start of the movie is so like the opening scene is just like perfect suburban lifestyle like the grass is as green as it could be like um it's just like the happiest place in the world and then it goes into the dirt and the worms are griming everywhere and i feel like it's quite similar with this where um like like la is hyped up to be this mystical city where like what is it like all your dreams can come true where really it's just another city where this sort of like entertainment is produced 
it's a, it's a special city, but every city is special for different reasons. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I saw it like as that, and then like the whole living, I've written here, like living a life without accomplishment or acclaim. Like he, he solves it in the end. Like he solves his whole thing, but he has nothing to show for it. Mm. And that's probably like a lot of people in LA as well. Like you think you've done the best audition in the world, nothing to show for it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's probably something to say with the fact that the film opens with him you know, using binoculars and looking across the pool. Yeah. And at the end of the film, you go through all of this and he, where does he end up? He literally ends up across the pool. So he's yeah. like only migrated yeah. 20 meters in I the th- whole film. I thought the, the chess scene was cool as well. Yeah. But like, that's not subtle. As well. Like, the, again, the whole movie's not subtle, but I thought that was especially not subtle because it's like all the like, need, like standard chess board, like the pieces, like all the pawns are just all the normal people where the elites are like the king and queen that are protected by the, the working class and they get to shelter away while everyone else does all their dirty work. So I thought there was something in that. Trouble in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what a good quote. Yeah. I wish I'd read <laughs> What do we think about the shit scene of the toilet? You mean the fact you see in the toilet? Yeah. Because oh, they that's... set up that camera and did that shot. Exactly. You know what I mean? And it, it's like got bits coming out of it too. <laughs> it probably has some sort of symbol in it, mm. to be honest. Let's like, like pause it and rewatch this. You don't, you don't put that in as like. There was a good scene though in. It might have been that toilet scene where on one side of the cubicle, there's all the codes. Like it's something yeah. to decipher. And on the other side, there's just this big dick drawn yeah. in, in, in pen. Yeah. I thought. That's good. That's, that's, yeah, you know exactly what you're doing here. There are definitive code solutions on the Reddit. Did you see mm. any of those? Well, no, I haven't looked at the, the intro as well. It's like the four animals flash by and the first letter of each of the animals. I can't remember the animals, but it spells out U-T-S-L, so under the Silver Lake. And then you'll see like in the, in the cafe scene, there's at the start, there's a guy with a bunch of animals on his chest as well and that says using the same formula it's like beware of the dogs or beware the dog dog killer killer. yeah Mm. yeah but i think there's like you might have seen on the subreddit i think there's more that i haven't yeah the definitive answers were like they had decoded the ones on the the bathroom and then at the coffee menu at the bottom of the coffee menu there is morse code like dots and dashes and it says something like look for three words or something and like, there's a few different jump around. So on the Reddit, they've pretty much gone. This is we define this is the truth, and then there's a website called the Three Words or something. And so then in the movie, it says look for the three words. And then if you go on a website called the Three Words, it has the same symbol that is the warning sign. That's the hobo code for warning. Mm-hmm. So it's the, three, the three words, and it's got that. And then if you go on this website, what it does is it divides the the global map two word combinations so it's got three by three meter squares like grids placed or three by three k i'm not sure if it's miles or k's or meters or something but it's like imagine a map of the world and then each coordinate is defined but it's not defined by g8 it's defined by three three word combinations so it's like dog cat coffee and then somewhere on the world that corresponds to a coordinate right so there are two coordinates they have and they're based on the dolls. So the dolls that are next to the TV mm. when she's watching How to Marry a Millionaire. Mm, yeah. There's code below there, which you can solve. And the code corresponds to these three words. And then you put the three words into the thing, you get a location. Mm. One that's in LA. 
And then if you arrange them differently because they're arranged like one woman, Marilyn, someone else, but then on the screen next to them is Marilyn, the other okay, one, another yeah. one. So depending on which order you do, one takes you to somewhere in LA, one takes you to the middle of Australia. So I imagine it's the one that's in LA, but yeah. So they put. So what's in the, what's in the coordinate though? What's there? I don't is know if anyone's like, been. It's is just it like, like the nature. Silver Lake or is it that spot where he finds like in, on Mount... It might Hollywood be, yeah. Or, I'm yeah. not sure. Where the little hut is at the end. Yeah. They I, don't have answers. Like I saw that they had a, the coordinator. Out. The co-coordinator was some like real code coordinator who cracked some famous yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Well, I think I actually think that that is a good symbol of the film. The fact that they've got these secrets in there, but I think they're very, very, very aware that you don't have to engage with that. Oh yeah, that, that's almost a thesis of the movie as well. Like you, like if you're willing to put the time into something, you can get results. But, but you also meaningless. Maybe, yeah. they they can be meaningless. But also, if you don't want to do it and you just want to go along for the ride, there's also a spot in the world for you too. It is pretty yeah. great when he rubs Dean and stands on Newton, and it actually leads to something. Like yeah. even after everything I'd seen, I didn't think anything was going to happen. Yeah. And then the idea that the homeless man leads him to something that actually is something is is funny. It's a good bit. Do um, you have any other takes on the meaningary thing you want to get into? Uh, I, I do kind of rate my own take from before, which is that this is like making fun of Hitchcockian characters, saying that like if you are a conspiracy theorist today, you're actually a psycho. Yeah, um, I think that's funny, and I think well, I think this film actually is going for a bunch of these takes. I don't think it's defining which ones are true and which ones aren't. Because even yeah, watching that bit about who's the dog killer, like to be fair, that video probably convinces me that he's the dog killer. But I don't, I'm not particularly upset about whether that's true or not. You know, no. in Inception, how like you're worried if the thing topples over. And I think that actually does affect how you see that film. In this film, if you think he's the dog killer or not, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, so for the minute, sure, he's the dog killer. But maybe on another watch, he's not. Um, I think the biggest stuff, the, the stuff that's most clear and explicit and defined is the, the relationship between male and female. Like sexist male and female and objectification and stuff like that. I think that's very real. I think it's, I think it's funnier if it's, if it is just kicking up dirt for being funny, mm-hmm. like, well, that would be my argument for why I don't want that scene where they're like buried under the earth because it's sort of funnier if stuff doesn't make sense. And it's sort of funnier if the dude's just playing piano and we end on that or something like that. Cause like, why does he sleep with the older woman? Like, I feel like it was only set up just so they could do that light and set up where they have the bird cages well, that was another thing as well. What do you reckon the bird was saying? It sounded like Oliver, but I don't know who Oliver, Oliver is. I've heard some people say, I've seen some people say like au revoir as well, uh, but I don't know. There's a few things where I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, like what the, all the skunk mean as well. Like that's got to mean something. <laughs> like whether it's like LA's just a stinky a place hole. and there's, <laughs> yeah. there's people that stink. The <laughs> thing that I read that like sort of makes sense is that he smells like a skunk and yet women still love him so well, like, well they don't like go oh you think we're gonna go away from you they just like oh you don't smell that good yeah so i That's think it. it's sort of making fun of the fact that he's like a super handsome dude and like it's andy, it's andy garfield yeah, exactly <laughs> i don't know you could and like what's the mum mean the mum must have him. some yeah. significance yeah. besides just grounding him yeah. uh, uh what's the actress name in the movie that like yeah uh, i can't remember her name yes but and she looks like that girl yeah i think that's i tried to look up like i looked up her wikipedia um 
and I couldn't like she died and she was in a bad car crash and eventually died um but I couldn't see anything specifically um that had anything to do with like had any relation to the movie or anything um same with that movie Seventh Heaven um yes I I, I couldn't see anything in like this brief plot synopsis one thing I did want to say is that in this interview, he goes, well, in this interview with the Vulture. The Vulture. The Vulture, the, the <laughs> <From> Spider-Man. <laughs> where oh, he we, speaks with Andrew, we're Gar- even... Andrew Garfield asks, why are you terrorizing the city? Yeah. <laughs> the quick sh- shout out to that Spider-Man scene where he has the, 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 the magazine sticks to his hand. Like, yeah. that's, that's funny. And that's where, that's where my opening joke came from uh, when I referred to him as... Yeah, you don't have to explain your joke. Okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Okay. So the director goes, the goal was to make a bold statement. It's an intentional shot across the bow, a bit of a fuck you. I'm sure there will be a range of reactions. That was straight out of David Robert Mitchell's mouth. Speaking with Michael Keaton himself, the vulture. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like that's a pretty damning statement to make. As someone who's preparing to direct a film, I don't know if I'm all in on going... Fuck you, but that's know. that's a self self mythologizing yeah. thing to say. Like, so do you respect it that he's joking, or do you think that? I think that he was probably this interview probably came after a bit of backlash. I would say, yeah. and then he, that's when you say that. Yeah. I reckon it's a bit of both. Like, you've got his like darling. It follows that everyone loves the critics loved. It made a fair bit of money. Um, like he could have made a sequel to that, or he could have done whatever. Instead, he makes this like sprawling. Epic LA. It sto- is epic. You yeah, go like yeah. a gajillion places. Exactly. Yeah. Um, places that you normally don't see in LA movies as well. But like you, you make he makes this, um, like a pretty original two and a half hour long movie starring a lister Andrew Garfield, knowing that a lot of people that watch it aren't gonna like it. Mm. He's got that bag from It Follows and this. <laughs> I reckon. I reckon. Go for it. Like he, he's got to be aware. Like he, he's not. Surely he can't be that far up his ass. Like, yeah. That's about it, I think. Yeah, I think that's we're the running timer. out of time. All right, so, we'll, I mean, you're well familiar with the format, Ben, but... Oh, we'll start with Ben then. Okay, so what, what did you like? What worked for you in this film? What worked for me? Um, I thought the overall um, just mystical quality of the movie and how um, it's willing to go places that some other movies won't. It's willing to provide elements that it knows it doesn't necessarily have to pay off um on paper i probably like it a bit more than what i actually saw (laughs) but i still think it's yeah it's a movie that definitely sits with you that i'd much rather an interesting movie that's like just okay than just a good movie that's boring Mm -hmm. all right tom um i like the ambition as well i think that Swinging for the fences is unreal. You might as well go for it. Um, I love the energy in this film. Uh, we didn't necessarily talk about it heaps, but the camera work, the color, and the sets in this film are just really exciting. And I'm happy to go everywhere that we go and jumping around lens styles and essentially just camera movement. I love camera movement. So the fact that the opening shot is like a huge like camera move where we go around and we see him walk into the, the cafe and stuff like that. And then it doesn't stop from there. It's a very... Him walking through the party, very exciting. Um, I think that the film does a great job of just throwing interesting visuals at you. 
like you've got the balloon girl like it's just it's just interesting um, you got balloon girl yeah what's not to love yeah um jesus jesus, is, uh, jesus has a weird face like <laughs> obviously um yeah i just i love the i just i just was amazed at how interested i was i think it's a very i i actually like that it teases all these hooks all the time and um yeah and i love the scene where he makes fun of every song that you've ever liked and when he plays nirvana it's just perfect but yeah all right um what would you change what i change i would cut it first comment i think you can make this film actually quite a bit better and quite a lot easier to love if you cut some of the stuff that each individual doesn't like so for me that's the scene where they sort of like semi-explain it it kind of pisses me off that they semi-explain the angle of the film by going oh we bury beautiful people under the earth just seems overtrodden and it goes for ages and i just didn't love it uh yeah i just didn't love the end end basically i didn't like i didn't super care for him sleeping with that woman at the end um but it's sort of funny i guess i don't know um but yeah the the some of the semi answers aren't as good yeah, it's sort of hard because, like, I know when you swing for the fences, you're obviously going to miss on a few things. But, yeah, specifically, it's that end scene for me. All right. Ben, what would you change? Um, yeah, I mainly agree. I think the the ending... I, I like the actual... I don't mind the last shot, but I feel like it would have worked a bit better if it didn't explain much at all. Like, it tries to explain, like, a little bit towards the end. Um, but the, my main problem was just its length, I think. I think it's... I don't know. It's probably a good half hour too long there's yeah. a few scenes where he's walking around like the, when he's walking through the streets and he sees that audition and he sees his car getting towed like that doesn't need to be in it mm. like same with like no, don't want to bash Topher Grace but he, <laughs> no! he, he probably doesn't like his scenes aren't as consequential as some other scenes um, but yeah mainly the length um, but I think after a couple more if I watch it more like I can see this being a movie I return to over the years. So I think if I if I watch it in a year's time, I think I won't mind the length as much. How good? Just another good thing. How good is it when they zoom in on the pirate men closing the limo? Yeah, oh, that, that was <laughs> another sure. thing as well. Like, what's a pirate guy? But I actually like, respect that as like, yeah. If any of them aren't going to make sense, it yeah. should be the guy without an eye with an oh, eye. Exactly. On. Like I'm asking, what what was he about? Like I'm completely fine with not knowing. Yeah. But I, but I, I also kind of want to know. I think him. it's just Hollywood creep. You yeah, know? it's just like weirdo because he, he, he just takes the bag, that. he yeah. takes the dog bag, and runs yeah. off. Like that's hilarious. Is know? he played by different actors? I feel like it, the, there's different faith. There's a couple of different pirate guys in it. Weird. I'm going to imagine my, my weary guy. eyes imagining something different. But. Yeah, but something about that camera work in that specific limo. Wait, it looks very so like Riptide. Shouts yeah. yeah, to Joy. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> I respect it. <laughs> Yeah, Vance Joy. Man peaked first single. Yeah, it's honestly though interesting, interesting crew progression for that man. Riptide, Silver Lake. Um, Riptide, more like under rip. the under the Riptide. Yes. Well. All right, Ben. What would what are you going to rate it? I have given this one a three out of five, but it's a nice three out of five. It's a good. Right. Three. It's a it's an interesting three out of five with room to grow. Yeah. Um, it's not a movie I love. But it's a movie I love talking about, but it's not necessarily a movie I love. But it's got a lot of good elements in it. And yeah, it'll definitely be... I'm glad I watched it, that's for sure. Yeah. It was an interesting pod one. I'd like to apologize to your mother for watching it with you. 
No, sure. so it wasn't with us. It was with eldest brother. Oh, I, my apologies. Yeah, she um, watched it with Ben and apparently was not a fan. Uh, I'm sure what that. Say? I'm sure that know, was just... a. I'm sure that was a great experience for Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Other Ben. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad. Good, good conversation. Um, what, what I, what I hoped we would, we would get out of it is a good, a good conversation. Thank you, David Robert Mitchell. <laughs> All right, Tom, what are you going to give it? Yeah, just similarly, I think this film has a lot of room to grow. Um, there's actually, a, the, I think I liked more stuff about this film than I realized. And unfortunately, the, the, the stuff that I feel like doesn't need to be there probably holds it back from getting a great score. But similarly, like, this will probably hold some real estate in my head for a while as, like, that weird movie and... Like, you know, when someone's like, oh, it's, it's one of those talking movies, I feel like that's a dangerous statement because sometimes people just kick up shit for the sake of it, but they're not fresh. This film kicked up interesting stuff in a fresh way for me. I think the fact that it was so much fun to watch is what actually held that. And like the neo-noir being used as comedy and mm. to be a, a, a cheeky take on something, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I'm giving this three and a half. Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right. Um... The other thing that just jumped to my head, if we're like back re- reanalyzing, is the use of REM in this film. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> well, the song. Right. Yeah. The song What's is. What's the a, frequency, Kenneth? Yeah, which is a song about someone listening to songs backwards and looking for secret messages. And like, I had seen that scene before for some reason. And I'm imagining it popped up on my YouTube randomly because of maybe I watched an REM video once or something like that. <laughs> but I think that's a good touch. And I just definitely do like the nine. Like. When you do think of that conspiracy theory character, you do think of someone who listened to alternative rock in the 90s. So I do like that edge, particularly with the Kurt Cobain stuff earlier. Um, and definitely it's hilarious that Francis Cobain or whatever signed his poster as opposed I, to Kurt Cobain. That's so it. funny. Yeah. Um, anyway. Back that, was to a, that was a good scene as well. Like very, or, a very awkward scene to watch, but it was a good Where scene. Where they're watching the TV. Well, I especially love watching the women's tennis as well with the grunting in it. <laughs> I thought that, that, that set me on the right track for the movie because I thought you, you, he knows exactly what he's doing yeah. by having this on the TV. Yeah. I, I'm the I'm same as you guys. Unfortunately, you know, we always end up, Tom and I at least always end up seeing the same boat with every film we watch. But it's like... Um, this film, like, what's frustrating about it is it had me, like, you know, when you're halfway through a film and you're like, yes, I'm, I'm in, and this had me, and then I just, like, really didn't like the end, you know? It went too long, and I just wasn't satisfied with the end. You know, up until, like, the Our Lady part, I was, like, fully invested in this, and then it went for too long, and I didn't like the ending. I just think anything where you have to, when you over-explain it, and, like, you better, you better write the best monologue ever if you're going to end your film on a monologue. And it just wasn't a good monologue. And I was like... You mean the hippie man. Yeah. I just... And it just kind of ruined... Not ruined, but really took away from a lot of the film for me. I was like, you're over-explaining and you're not even explaining half the shit you brought up anyway. So, like, why try to, like, tie up some loose ends? Good point. You can play that just like him going, man, they're below the earth, man. Do you want to speak to her? And then he speaks to her and it's fine. Like, it's probably better than him going, like... It takes a while. Really? It takes a while as well, like between the scene where he gets to the hut, like that whole scene, and then when he's in like the little cave, and then by the time he gets home, and mm. then when he goes over to the older lady's apartment, like like sleeping in bed with her, and then sees his house getting like like the the um, landlord walking in, mm. um, and like carrying on. Like, that's a good, like, half hour. I just think I, at a, least it felt like it. Yeah. It's a bad look for a film to keep going when you know you're over the apex. Yeah. yeah. That's it. 
especially like even if you're talking about set design and character um, camera work, you know, your climax has the least interesting camera work and kind of set design out of the whole film. It's like yeah, the hut is kind of shit. It's it yeah. you could have made the low hut budget, look a bit more you know? interesting. Yeah, it's almost like they ran out of money. But again, like that's also like could play a part in the movie as well. Just like going like just going on and on and on. Because there's many noirs that do that as well. Mm. Just like, mm. it, like you've just got a we're stretching out the runtime, just trying to, well, who's done it? Like the classic who done it? Like mm. no one in the end. Like it's just what it is. Yeah. Um, but that's reading too much into it. That's, that's giving him too much credit. <laughs> yeah, too, I don't like this sort of actually give too much credit. Exactly. Allows you to read into conspiracy theories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah anyway, rating wise, I'm giving it a three. Yeah. So we're all kind of in similar sort of agreement. It's definitely like an interesting film to watch. Would you recommend it to people? A specific no, people, exactly. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Even I, I, then, who would you recommend it to? I'd recommend it to myself. <laughs> like, yeah. I'd be like, I should watch this yeah. again. And then I'd drag someone into the experience. Yeah. Because I think you could maybe leapfrog the uncomfort, the discomfort this film gives you if you have someone telling you it's good. Mm. Yeah. Because this film is like going, hey, we're going to swing for it. Yeah. Uh, you're are you going to join us on the ride? And eventually yeah. you make a decision. But then, yeah. If going into it, like going into recommending it to someone, like say, if they've seen It Follows as well, saying it's the same director, mm. it's nothing like it. <laughs> it's got a few scenes, like the It Follows, like the main jump scare in it with the giant guy coming yeah, out. That's cool like, though. It's I got like a, a few of those Our Lady scenes. It's got like a little bit of that tension there, but it's really not like It Follows at all. But I feel like you could reel some people in saying, this is a bit different, but if you like this, you're not mm. necessarily going to like this, yeah. but yeah. just give it a try. How do you sell this? Exactly. That's what, like, what we were talking about at the start. I think you say Mulholland Drive. But yeah. what, why is Mulholland Drive, LA. But why is Mulholland Drive more likable than this? That's what's interesting. Well, it's you know? got, Lynch is a bit more yeah. crafty, I guess. But it's also, it's also got a few more. It's less meta. I think you invite criticism by being meta as well. I, I think more, it's more and less meta. I think it's for the specific mm. time period. Yeah. Um, Mulholland Drive's got a lot for... Um, that late 90s, early 2000s, mm. um, especially seeing as it started off as like as a TV show and then yeah. got recut. Um, but yeah, I think it's just because it's... Uh, Marlon Drive's got better performances and yeah. it's got better... Te- it's yeah. got pretty much everything this movie does well, Marlon Drive does better. Well, I will go back to that point I kind of made towards the start about I think that I would have liked it better with a more interesting protagonist and I know that's the point, yeah. but it's like... I don't know. Who, I don't know who else could play it. I'm. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying you need yeah. not Andy Garfield. I mean. Yeah. And it's it's hard because that's the whole point. Like that's who you're critiquing. But I think maybe that's why, for example, enjoy. I'm thinking of anything more or Mulholland Drive more. If you're talking about ambiguous things, because I think the ride's just a bit more fun. But having said that, yeah. I think Andy Garfield is good in this. Yeah. But I, I I think trying to figure out Mulholland Drive is more fun than trying to figure this out. Even mm. though this has more. Um, ways to interpret it because Mulholland Drive has a bunch too but it's got a pretty clear once you've seen it like a couple of times mm. you know exactly what it's doing which doesn't take away from it at all it's fun like every time you get something out of it something new out of it where this you do a bit as well but it's just I don't know there's all it's it's pro, what is it like as wide as an ocean but as deep as, I don't know, like a swimming pool. It's no, not, yeah. compared to Mulholland Drive, it's not that deep. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do you have anything to plug, Ben? Not really. Just Your letterbox? Uh, my letterbox, it's, I can't remember my username, but it, my name's Ben White. I've got my, my photos, me with Nick Cage in LA. Nice. 
there, there you go. That's <laughs> Where did you meet Nick Cage? You got the, quick time for a story. At the Independent Spirit Awards. Oh, I was nice. like, I somehow got into like the the creepy paparazzi area <laughs> um, and he was like signing photos and uh, signing like stuff for them to sell and taking a few photos and I quickly got a selfie with nice. him. It's good. Yeah, that, that was that was good fun. So you're plugging that photo. I'm That's plugging good. that photo. Check it out. Yeah, give it a like. Give it a like. Not gonna lie, when you said Nick Cage, I blanked, and I was like, Nick Cave. Nick Cave. Uh, my Nick, Nick Cave, Cave shirt on right now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like now I know that I'm fully invested in this hipster shit when I confuse Nick Cage with Nick, Nick Cave. Cave. Yeah. <laughs> Follow us at I'm Good Brother on Instagram, and the YouTube is Good Brother. We got the Madonna remix. Check that out. Check it out. Yeah, check out um, remix of Madonna track. What is it called? Borderline. Borderline. Good mix. Very nice. Yeah, I don't know. I'm keen for next week. This was a good app, I think. Good film to chat about. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for letting me pick the recommendation. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Think cool. about in three months if you want to be on it again. Then what? By the time it gets uploaded, or well, let's. I want to go. <laughs> yeah, I want to go see a movie in cinemas. So let's like try and let's go about a good cinema experience and do that. Well, all right. Let's go. This has been another classic. See you later. Another classic. Or a fresh one If we knew what we wanted You'd be useless Tell us what's in Tell us who's done Another antique shipwreck You spun It's a Friday Or a Tuesday They mark my week Tell me when and where and what's fun Maybe if we Maybe if us Another sentimental Idealistic new one Yeah.